The grief had almost been too much to bear on that awful April night when she died. But there had hardly been time for Peter and Sue to mourn or ask questions before suddenly, and without warning, twin sister Katie had been struck down too. Katie's life had hung by a thread on that same dreadful day. Sue and Peter had been in torment because, as Becky was lying in the mortuary at one end of the Grotham and Keveston General Hospital, Katie was fighting to survive on Ward 4, the children's ward, at the other end. Frantically, doctors, nurses and the hospital emergency team had worked on her, finally succeeding in saving Katie. Excerpt from Angel of Death, Killer Nurse, Beverly Elit by John Askill. This was Beverly Elit, and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. So Beverly Elit was born October 4, 1968 and grew up in the village of Corby Glen. She would become one of Britain's most famous serial killers. What made it more shocking and made Beverly more terrifying is that she was a nurse a children's nurse, and her victims were helpless little children. As she held the hands of worried parents, becoming a friend, a shoulder to cry on, their strength and reassurance, she was purposely killing their little ones, claiming to care for them. From an early age, Beverly displayed concerning tendencies. As a child, she'd wear medical dressings and casts, claiming she had injured herself to get attention. This was a normal child's play, imaginary or role play, as kids do. She sought attention, screaming in pain from these injuries. In her teens, she became overweight. The attention-seeking went into overdrive and she'd lash out, becoming aggressive to others. She would be in and out of hospitals, again looking for attention and sympathy. Her illnesses were always uh, physical and ended having her appendix removed a perfectly good and fine appendix. This caused more issues as it took her longer than normal to heal. She would pick and prod at the scar, causing more injuries or infections. She also self-harmed a fair bit too, and was known to go from doctor to doctor when they would question if her illnesses were real or made up. She went on to train as a nurse and was accused of weird stuff like smearing poop on the walls in a nursing home she was training in. She was out on sick a lot with her illnesses. A boyfriend at the time said she was violent, manipulative and a liar. She claimed many times to be pregnant, uh, assaulted and also had miscarriages before the relationship ended. With her poor attendance, learning wasn't great and she flunked her exams. However, she was taken on for six months at Gratham and Kevinston Hospital in 1991. This hospital was in dire need of, st uh, of staff, so she worked the children's ward four. When she started, there was two trained day nurses and just one on the nights. This probably was how she got away with what she did for so long. February 21st, 1991, Beverly's first victim was Liam Taylor and he was seven months old and was in Ward 4 for a chest infection. Something not too serious, but in young children like Liam, they are better monitored just in case. One night, a lit noticed Liam's parents exhausted and spoke to them about going home for rest. 
her kindness and what they felt as trustworthiness, had them leave. When they came back, Beverly told them Liam had a breathing issue that needed a respiratory emergency intervention, but he had recovered. Beverly was taken by the care of the boy, or so it appeared, and even offered herself to night duty for him. One night, another respiratory incident, just before midnight, but Liam came through it again. With the chaos calmed, Beverly was alone with Liam, and soon after she screamed from the room for help. Liam had gone pale and red patches appeared on his face. During the panic, nurses and others found it strange how alarms didn't sound to Liam not breathing, but there wasn't time for questions. Liam was in serious trouble. Liam had gone into cardiac arrest and despite all the team's efforts, he suffered irreversible brain damage and was on life support. With medical advice, the family made the heartbreaking decision to remove Liam from the support. On his death cert, the cause was given as heart failure. Beverly was never questioned about her role in Liam's death. Two weeks later was her next victim, who was 11-year-old Timothy Hardwick. He had cerebral palsy and was admitted March 5th, 1991 to Ward 4 after an epileptic fit. Beverly would look after Timothy and once alone with him, she had to call for the resuscitation team. When they came, Timothy was blue and had no pulse. The team tried and tried to get Timothy back, even calling in specialists, but it was too late. Timothy Hardwick was dead. An autopsy failed for a cause of death, so epilepsy was the official cause. Her next victim was Kaylee Desmond, who was one. She was admitted to Ward 4, March 3rd, 1991, for a chest infection. Again, something not too serious, just in need of observation, and Kaylee was recovering well. Five days later, Kaylee went into cardiac arrest. Beverly was there, caring for Kaylee in the same bed Liam died in two weeks before. The resuscitation team came and got her back. She was moved to Nottingham for a more closer observation unit. Doctors here looked her over top to bottom and found a pinhole under her armpit. A further examination, an air bubble was found near the mark. They believed it was accidental, maybe done in a panic to revive her, so no investigation was conducted. Next was five-month-old Paul Crampton. He came to Ward, Ford, Ward 4 on March 20th, 1991. He had bronchial infection, which was said to be not serious. Just before he was discharged, Beverly was left alone with him. She called for help when Paul looked to be in insulin shock. Three times Paul nearly went into a coma. Each time doctors got him back but couldn't understand why his sugars were doing this. Paul was sent to a more equipped hospital and he was sent there by ambulance with Beverly going with him. When he arrived his insulin was found to be extremely high. Paul though was very lucky. Once Beverly left the doctors managed to stabilise him. The next day, March 21st, Bradley Gibson, who was five, came into Ward 4 with pneumonia. He would go into cardiac arrest but was saved. Blood tests showed his insulin was very high, which didn't add up to the doctors. Beverly would visit one night and Bradley had yet another cardiac attack. He was sent to Nottingham for more tests and soon he recovered. As you can see, there was a lot of unexplained happenings in a very short period of time all in the presence of Beverly, but no suspicion was piqued 
And so it went on. March 22, 1991. Yik Hun Chan, who was two, turned blue while with Beverly and was in serious trouble when she called for help. He would stabilize with action but had another attack and this had him moved to a larger hospital and he recovered. His symptoms were put down to a fall that fractured his skull. After this, Beverly began care on twins Katie and Becky Phillips, just two months old. Gastroenteritis or a stomach bug had little Becky on Ward 4 April 1st 1991. Two days later, Beverly called for help as Becky looked hypoglycemic and was cold to the touch, but nothing was found. The baby was discharged and sent home with her parents. During the night, Becky began convulsing and screaming in absolute pain, but the call-out doctor said it was colic. Her parents, obviously worried, did what most of us would do as parents, with a sick child, and kept her in their bed to watch over her. Sadly, by the morning, Becky was dead. An autopsy found nothing sinister and her death was ruled as SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome or Cot Death. Becky's twin Katie came into Ward 4 as a precaution, very understandable with what had just happened to Becky. Any cold or sniffle would have had her parents twisted with worry. Beverly was there to greet and assure them that everything would be okay. Hours later, Beverly was calling for the resuscitation team as Katie was found not breathing. They would get Katie back, but two days later, another attack with her lungs collapsing. Again, they got her back and moved her to Nottingham. Here they found she had five broken ribs and a serious brain damage from being without oxygen. Poor Katie's mother, grief-stricken by Becky's death, was so grateful to Beverly for saving her Katie she asked Beverly to be Katie's godmother. Beverly, of course, accepted, knowing the pain and damage she did to Katie. Uh, she also had partial paralysis, cerebral palsy, sight damage, and hearing damage. Four more victims happened after this, and then the high number of unexplained incidents, and the fact Beverly was there in all finally piqued someone's curiosity. April 22nd, 1991, Beverly Elite's violent and killing spree came to an end with the death of Claire Peck, 15 months old. Claire was asthmatic and needed a breathing tube. In Beverly's care, which was only minutes, Claire had a heart attack with the team saving her. Soon after, again alone with Beverly, Claire had another heart attack, but this time she died. Claire's autopsy would point to natural causes, but a doctor didn't agree, and consultant to the hospital, Dr. Nelson Porter, called for an inquiry. The high number of cardiac attacks in just two months on Ward 4 had him very worried. At first it was thought to be an airborne virus, but nothing was found. Tests found Claire's potassium was sky high, and 18 days later, police were called in. Her body was exhumed and tests found traces of linocaine in her system, a drug for cardiac arrest, but a drug that was never to be given to a baby. Stuart Clifton was assigned to the investigation and he felt something was seriously wrong. He looked at the other incidents and found weirdly high doses of insulin in most of them. More evidence came up that Beverly reported a missing key to the insulin refrigerator. 
Records were looked at, parents spoken to and security cameras were put into Ward 4. When records were looked at, there was missing nursing logs, which would have been at Paul Crampton time. This had suspicion raised. 25 other episodes with 13 victims, four of which were dead, was discovered and a common person at all of them was Beverly Alit. July 26, 1991, police decided they had enough evidence, but it wasn't until November that year that charges were formally brought against Beverly. Beverly remained calm in interrogation, denying any involvement, insisting passionately she was caring for those children. Searching her home, police found the missing nurses' log entries. Looking more into her past, police found a pattern in her behaviour that would point to a serious personality disorder. Beverly showed symptoms of not only Munchausen syndrome, but also Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Both are gaining attention through an illness. Munchausen syndrome it's physical or psychological with symptoms self-induced or pretended to gain attention. Uh, Munchausen syndrome is to the person, not to others. So let's say I claim I have headaches, deliberate uh, debilitating headaches and get attention from my spouse, then doctors, hospitals and so on. But it's only me and I'm not harming others. That's Munchausen's. Then you have by proxy, which means to another. So Munchausen by proxy has injury or sickness done by you to others to gain attention to you. So the Gypsy Rose Blanchard story, her mother, Dee Dee, had Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And she made Gypsy Rose sick or claimed she was from a very early age, having her in and out of hospitals, getting unnecessary procedures all for her own attention. It would all come out uh, when Gypsy had nothing wrong with her, but had years of torture and the hands at the hands of her mother uh, for want of attention. Dee Dee's case is extreme and ended in her death with, when Gypsy couldn't take it anymore and had her murdered. So that explained the likelihood a person would have both, uh, both syndromes is fairly unusual, but Beverly looked to have both syndromes. Her behaviour as a youth was Munchausen, the illness, self-harm and in and out of hospitals and to doctors. And when this failed to get her to the attention she wanted, she went on to harm her young patients in order to get attention she needed. While in prison, Beverly was assessed by many healthcare professionals. Every assessment, she refused to confess what she did. After many hearings, Beverly was charged with four counts murder, 11 attempted murder, and 11 causing grievous bodily harm. While awaiting trial, Beverly developed um, anorexic nervosa and lost a lot of weight. This would be said to be more proof of her psychological problems. The trial had a lot of delays as Beverly was often sick, but February 15, 1993, at Nottingham Crown Court, the trial began. Prosecutors would show the jury how Beverly was at each unusual incident and how these incidents didn't happen in the unusual manner when Beverly wasn't on the ward for. They also showed how each incident the victim had high insulin, potassium, drug injection and puncture marks. Beverly was also accused of cutting off her victim's oxygen by smothering or messing with the machines. 
Her childhood behaviour was brought up. Professor Roe Meadow would explain Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy to the jury. He explained how Beverly appears to have both. He would say Beverly would never be cured and was a danger to herself and anyone she met. The trial lasted two months and Beverly attended all but 16 days due to her ongoing illnesses. May 23, 1993, Beverly was convicted and she was given 13 life sentences, the harshest sentence to a female. The impact of the scandal to the hospital, Gratham and Kiveston was so toxic that the maternity unit was closed down altogether. Beverly Doe wasn't sent to prison, instead she was sent to Rampton Secure Hospital, a high security housing offenders under the Mental Health Act. While here, she began seeking attention again, like eating ground glass and pouring scalding hot water on her hands. Beverly would eventually admit to three murders and six assaults. Her crimes and the nature of them had her on the home office list of criminals that should never ever be paroled. But December 6, 2007, it was confirmed she was to serve the minimum sentence of 30 years. Meaning, as of November 2021, she is eligible for parole. Beverly Alit still remains in Rampton. And that is the story of Beverly Alit. Hit that like button if you're not subscribed. Please get subscribed and ring the hell out of that bell. Join me next time for the tale of the SS Athena, a passenger liner that was torpedoed September 3rd, 1939 by German submarine U-30. The sinking was condemned as a war crime, but it wasn't until 1946 that German authorities admitted responsibility. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.